And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Magnificent Mortara Masters Marrakesh Evans, Jev and Van Dorn keep their title push up Porsche's hopes blown away in the dunes And Sam's calendar update goes into overdrive This is the Race Formula E podcast Marrakesh edition Hello, I'm Andrew Vanderberg, and joining me to look back at a thrilling Marrakesh Ypres is a sun-kissed Sam Smith, and our special guest, Mercedes EQ team principal, Ian James. Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. That was one hell of a, a tongue twister to start. I'm glad that was you rather than me to saying that. One take as well, just so long as everyone notices that. <laughs> Very impressive. Um, we've got a lot of off-track ground to cover at the end of the show, but let's start with a race from last Saturday. Uh, a great win by Edo Mortara, but more than that, just a great event in general with loads of overtaking, dicing, and of course, rough and tumble. Sam, what are we calling it? Vanakesh or Maracuva? Uh, whatever. They did a great job in getting Formula E super sub track ready for this event and got the rewards they deserved. Yeah, I mean, the, the paddock consensus, which was me and the other journalist in the media centre, was Maracouver. I think that sounded best. So let's stick with that. Um, it was, it was, it's a decent super sub event, Marrakesh. I think there's been several good races in the past. And, and again, we got we got a really intriguing uh, contest on, on last Saturday. I, I think the semi-permanent nature of it makes it an easier race to plug in and play to replace another event uh, but still um it was only five weeks they had to have a go at it and they they managed to pull it off so fair play to the formula e and and the fia in getting that together in five weeks so it delivered a good race um i think it is the go-to sub race so it all worked pretty well what, what i like about it is that this race in particular, we didn't get that sort of shadow boxing element we've seen in previous races as much. So this train of slipstreaming and, and jockeying of the cars wasn't quite the same as previous events. And that was mainly because the, the high temperatures, which I think hovered around about the 33, 34 degree mark ambient and 50 degrees on track, meant that the drivers knew they had to make some hay early doors and, and use their hits of attack boost earlier than usual in the races to get the to get the thermals or not to get the thermals too too toasty in the race towards the end of it that all played a significant part and at the end of the day despite the the debacle that was vancouver we went racing and we got another great great race contributing to this really intense and intriguing season so it was worth the the six hour wait we had between the the qualifying and and the race and and you know it didn't clash with a with the grand prix qualifying which uh, made a lot of sense Uh, i think a lot of the drivers spent the that time uh, by the pool i'm hearing some of them were were uh, yeah living it up so uh, life's not too hard in formula e when we go to morocco so, uh, Ian, uh, a win for Mercedes powertrains, if not necessarily with the team that you would have liked. But um, what did you make of the weekend? 
Yeah, all in all, very, very good indeed. I think that, um, as you say, Edo's uh, performance was 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 masterful, and uh, congratulations once again to him and, and Venturi uh, for setting up that win. It was uh, uh, very well deserved indeed. Um, but going back to, to Sam's points, I think that, of course, we were disappointed not to be to be racing in Vancouver. But once again, Formula E shown that it can be incredibly adaptable and, and react at very short notice. And I think to put the race on in Marrakesh. Um, was uh, was a great shout. Um, do we miss the fans? And uh, you know, when 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 we've only got a, a short amount of time to uh, to pull it together, absolutely, there's no doubt about it. Um, but at the same time, the racing was was phenomenal, um, as it has been all season. So I think it was very much the right decision to go ahead with it. Um, I actually really liked the track. Um, the weather was great. Um, although uh, it gave us a couple of uh, headaches in terms of temperature management. Um, uh, I understand that uh, now it's uh, is up in the 40s and this weekend is going to be even hotter. So I think uh, for that alone, we can be glad that it uh, took place on the weekend that it did. Oh yeah, it sounds like you've uh, dodged a little bit of a bullet there with that. I was worried when they were putting it on this time of year that it might just be that little bit too hot. Um, Sam, as, uh, as Ian said, I mean, just so much action going on at the front of the field there. Um, but Mortara... He sort of he sort of had it in his pocket, didn't he? Yeah, he um, when when Edo gets everything together and the team do, which is getting increasingly frequent this season in particular, he has that air of um, of the unbeatable about him. And quite apart from obviously the hardware, which is proven and probably the best and um, most efficient on the track, um, I think Edo the way that he drives it, he's it was very noticeable in Berlin how he how he took a lot of the low-speed corners. And speaking to a few of the drivers, they're quite, you know, not in awe, that's too strong, but they are very appreciative of the way Edo drives Formula E cars and especially especially rotating the car in the slow-speed stuff. And I think he's got a, an ever-so-slight advantage in that. But when, you know, when you put that sector by sector, it adds up and just makes the tiniest bit of difference, which, as we know, in Formula E makes you know, can can make all the difference when it comes to, to getting the win. I think, obviously, what benefited him in Saturday's race at Marrakesh was the fact that his two main challengers, let's call them the two DS to Cheetah cars, had this um, another intricate choreography going on. We've seen it in the past. Sometimes it works for them, sometimes it doesn't. In this case, there, there, there was a difficulty, obviously, with Jeff's um, thermals with his with his battery. He was suffering. He was effectively in the red on the temperatures. So that was very difficult to manage. But as ever, DS to Cheetah, it, it never seems to be simple and straightforward or rarely. So it, they didn't quite trip over themselves, but that choreography didn't quite pay off for them this time it was it was the overheating as i said that was awkward um and it's an awkward place as well to try and swap where they did at turn seven de costa made this point um and said that there were you know much better places to try and do that sort of swapsy move i think one thing i think that was really significant in marrakesh was was that just the fact that that gang of four the title protagonists mortara Vern, van dorn and um and evans only De Costa was truly in the game in terms of either of their teammates. Now, De Vries and De Grassi weren't that far away, but they weren't capable of taking points off Evans, and De Costa was. That's a subtle point, but it's the kind of thing that can make a really big difference 
console in August, rejuvenated the cost that I think is a powerful thing. And if that trade continues, it will be a major boost for Vern for sure. Going back to Mortara, you can't take anything away from him. He drove superbly, absolutely, um, absolutely fantastic victory for he and, and Venturi. And now, you know, if, if there were any doubters as to their credentials for for possible title winners this season, then, uh, you know, I, I think there, there aren't many left. I think he's sort of driven a driven a, a point across with that, that win. Um, and he's matched Evans as a three-time winner this season. So uh, the momentum has, has, has been picked up again by by Venturi and it's going to be it's going to be super interesting to see how things go in New York because Venturi and Mercedes had a very difficult New York last season very varying reasons why that was the case but um, and, I, and I know that Ian I think Ian is it right in saying that um, last year obviously it was your first time at, at New York City but that isn't a major concern heading there this year because you were you were so clear on why things happened last season and there was obviously the extenuating circumstance with the different qualifying uh, methods as well, wasn't there? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I was uh, taking a look at, back at this um, earlier on. I'd actually coming away from the, the weekend in Marrakesh, I'd said to the team that initially this feels almost um, symptomatic of this this mid-season dip that we've seen over the last couple of seasons to be fair and I think um, actually on reflection I was probably a bit harsh in that that analysis I think there's some clear differences between where we were at this point last season um, and where we're at now Um, as you mentioned (laughs) New York was was pretty miserable for us last year we uh, we came away from that weekend um, scoring no points whatsoever um, uh, had also very difficult um, qualifying sessions um, you know for some some extenuating factors in that in terms of weather and, and obviously the, the, the qualifying format that we had um, last season um, but I think that the key difference this year is, is that we're much more in control of of of, of other elements of the, the race weekend and, and especially in, in terms of the race performance. So we saw this weekend, um, although we had the, uh, the, the, the issues in qualifying, we were able to fight back through the race. I mean, Stoffel making up um, 11 places during the race itself, coming from, from 20th position to, to 8th, um, really in, in pure racing, um, that, was, uh, that was phenomenal. Um, and that was something we definitely weren't in a position to do last year. So that gives me cause for optimism uh, going into New York in, in a week and a half's time. And, uh, um, yeah, let's see that we if we can um, actually come back with uh, some much better results. Although I have to say, obviously, we will uh, we'll be looking to, to improve not only our race performance, but our qualifying as well. Ian, looking uh, back to Marrakesh, Sam was talking about uh, Diaz Chichita trying to implement those team orders. We saw in the Grand Prix on Sunday, Ferrari faced with a, a similar conundrum. How hard is it as a as a team principal to to coordinate that? Because obviously you want your drivers to race, but equally it is a team game and is ultimately the team result that matters. So how do you actually get both competitive spirits of the our drivers to agree to this? I, th- I think you can you can often overcomplicate um, the matter if if you're not careful. Um, at the end of the day. You know, we, we've taken a, an approach that, as long as it's, it's mathematically um, possible for, for either driver to, to win the championship, then you've really got to question whether bringing team orders in in that situation is, is the right thing to do. Um, now, I know that um, that that 
Antonio Felix Acosta said during the weekend that that he himself was very much taking a look at the the, the team situation and, and would help wherever possible as, as much as that was going to be painful for him as an individual. Um, obviously, that then played out in the race itself. But as I say, you, you do have to be very careful that you don't trip over. And, and the more complexity you bring into the race, especially in Formula E, um, where you've got all those nuances um, happening constantly throughout the uh, throughout the race um i think it's it's something you need to be be very very careful of indeed um would i have done things differently in their situation it's always easy with hindsight um i think as we discussed before maybe the the positioning of the move wasn't uh, wasn't ideal um, there's a lot of other stuff going on in terms of um you know challenges around whether you're going to derate from a temperature perspective or, or energy derates and so on and so forth so that again just adds to the complexity so i think at this stage we've still got you know we went into marrakesh with 44 percent of the season still to go uh, we've come away from marrakesh we've still got another six races so it's all to play for to be honest with you um the one thing that i would say though and it goes back to the point that you made earlier ds tech cheetah yet again are able to uh, get themselves in a position where Despite those uh, challenges, they have both drivers scoring points now and uh, and potentially consistently going forward. And that that makes them a a very, very dangerous uh, competitor from our perspective. Yes, um, that segues nicely into the next question, which is that is two races in a row that DS haven't turned into a win. But does the sheer consistency of their performance outweigh that and actually make it a positive? Um. It's interesting because the, the, the DS E10s 21, when you look back at its history, it debuted, I think, in Rome last year, and, and Vern won a race in that doubleheader last April. But since then, the results have been, um, they haven't been stellar. They haven't been what you expect from that team that have won multiple championships. So it's been a difficult berth for that car. But the feeling is, is that even though they can only have minimal updates, uh, albeit software, which is incredibly important and can make significant differences in formulary, the, the actual structure of the car can't change. Their powertrain cluster is completely homologated. So they have found something or they appear to have found something or honed something. And certainly in um, in the last few races, they, they, they appear to be back to that, as Ian says, that very dangerous entity that, that can look at possibly um, challenging for one, two results, um, which we're so used to in the past. That didn't happen on Saturday, but it could easily, well, it could have happened. Had I think if Vern had not have had such a crippling, um, derating effectively on his on his powertrain through the heat, then it, I think they they would have been in a very very strong position going forward. I think what Da Costa told me last week that he would effectively ride shotgun with uh, for Jev for the title for, for Jev's title campaign, um, and he doesn't like doing it. He made it very clear that he doesn't like it, and, and what what driver does, but he realizes at the end of the day that you know he is employed by ds Cheetah and he knows that it's for the greater good of the team and the irony of course is that you know both well antonio is is strongly rumored to have signed for porsche for next season so he is leaving anyway um you know the 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 dac is back is a nice little headline or a nice little snippet but 
you know, I, I, I sort of hesitate in using that because I don't think he's really been away. I think a champion, any champion in Formula E who goes through a little bit of a dip is, is quite natural. We saw Verne do it last year. But I think in in summary, I think Diaz to Cheetah are a very dangerous proposition. I think they, they, can, they can certainly win another team's title this year. Whether or not Verne can win a hat-trick of titles, we'll have to wait and see. You know, as we as we alluded to in the last podcast with uh, with D'Ambrosio, there, there is a scenario, incredibly still, where Verne could win the title um, not winning a race. Well, I think even if he won one race and won the title, it'd be a remarkable story, considering that Mortara and Evans have you know won at least three by the end of the season. So uh, there's some great storylines to come, I think, and. I just find it really interesting and I think entertaining for everybody in terms of having that consistent narrative that we have this gang of four at the front and they are delivering race in, race out. And I think the big question going to New York is which of their teammates can get into that into that group or into the fight certainly to aid their teammates. Just reiterating what I said before, I see that as a real strong strand of the narrative uh, for the next few races. Ian, since uh, Rome, when Evans got his sort of poor start to the season and turned around, he's seemingly driving really well. Uh, obviously, as a team principal, you keep a, a close eye on how your rivals are performing. What, what have you made of the way he's turned his season about? Yeah, massively frustrating, obviously, um, for us. Uh, it goes without saying. I think that, you know, we've spoken a lot already about um, about uh, Venturi and, 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 and DS Tech Cheetah, but... Jaguar as a team, we definitely shouldn't shouldn't write them off um, by any stretch of the imagination. I think they've got the bit between their teeth at the moment, and and Mitch is very much leading the charge there. So he uh, his his performance has been um, uh, has been very very good um, over the last few races. Um, again, annoyingly, he's he's a genuinely nice guy as well, which is uh, again, if he's uh, in a competitive team, that just uh, rankles a little bit. But um, but no, I think he um, he's you know, put in a very strong performance, as you say, since Rome. I think Berlin, if I remember correctly, um, wasn't their, uh, their their race or their their weekend necessarily. But we've seen that's been a bit of a bogey track for for Jaguar anyway. Not quite sure why that is, but um, um, but they've struggled there in the past. Um, but we've seen in Marrakesh strong performances. I think we uh, we're now coming into. Um, races where they've, they, there's a team and, and Mitch is what I think have performed before. He's in a position uh, where he's lying, and Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think fourth in the champ, Drivers' Championship. That's right, yeah. Uh, currently, which uh, um, is his highest ever uh, finish that he's had in the past. And, and there's every opportunity for him to continue to um, you know, accrue points and either consolidate that position or, or better. So, um, no, impressive all round, but um, we need to make sure that uh, that our two, uh, Stoffel and Nick, um, uh, actually put themselves in a position and we put them in a position to uh, to take those points away from uh, the other championship protagonists and, uh, and uh, yeah, keep them very much behind us. Talking of the role of teammates, uh, Sam, Lucas Degrassi was fifth uh, in the second Venturi. Uh, he turns it on on the race day, but he's being let down by his qualifying performances at the moment. Yeah, it's it's a topic we cover every season to some extent, isn't it? And naturally, he doesn't Deja like it all over again. Yeah, over. yeah, and he won't like us talking about it again, and, and obviously not should he. Um, you, you have to consider that that apart from a few occasions when Daniel Apt got his head together at Audi with 
performances like in Berlin in, in 2018, I think it was. Lucas has never been consistently headed or beaten in Formula E, but he is beaten now by, by Mortara. I think that's fairly conclusive. Mortara's driving beautifully, and he is beating Lucas um, most week. well, pretty much all, all of the weekends we've had so far. Uh, we've speculated in an informed fashion that Degrassi was always going to be at Venturi just for one season. We believe that's always been the case and he's on his move for next season. I think that's accurate and um, I think news of news of that will be coming in the next month or so. Luke, Luke, Lucas is a savvy driver, we know that. He, he, will, he will know now that an element of his racecraft in the final six races will be for Mortara. And that, you know, we talked about that hurting De Costa's um, competitive spirit. My goodness, you know, Degrassi's competitive spirit. I don't know what it's going to do to that. That will that won't um, sit well with him. But he's a professional, and he is employed by Venturi, and he is not in the title fight. So I think that's going to be a very interesting one to follow and see how Lucas can can swallow that and, and possibly take some points off some of Mortara's. Um, um, competition for the title I'm, I'm sure Ian has had similar conversations with De Vries he, he alluded to it before or will have to um, sometime during the season with, with the mathematics if they're right as, as Ian uh, touched on and ditto Jags with Bird uh, unfortunately Sam has hit a trough at the moment just at the wrong time um, from from Mitch Evans's perspective and we know that DS we've talked about DS and, and De Costa about their position as well I feel it will be a defining feature. I'm sorry to mention it again, but I just see this as a really defining feature for the last month of the championship, those fine margins. But going back to Degrassi, yeah, he actually drove a really good race, um, but he had to again because of qualifying. So he needs to find a bit extra in qualifying. He's, you know, he's not missing out on getting into the duels by much. You know, you're talking hundredths of a second, but that's what it's like this year. You know, if you can't just find those extra hundredths of a second, which the top four in the championship have consistently been able to find for qualifying, although ironically Stoffel had had his issues in, with, with his brakes in Marrakesh and didn't make it into the duels, you have to uh, find those to get in there. And, and Lucas, Lucas will dig deep, but he's more than capable of doing it. You know, you, you write the grassy off at your peril just one thing on that i mean andrew just if i may come in i mean it, it, isn't it great though that we're we're talking about sort of a handful of, of drivers that are really genuine contenders for the championship this year um and 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 for me this is what the the, the switch to the qualifying formats brought uh, within within formula e we've always said that we need to sort of have the, the, the best drivers and the best machinery coming to the fore. Um, and I think that, that we're very much seeing that this season and it hasn't detracted one bit from from the show, quite the opposite. I think the racing's been been all the more, more uh, competitive for it. So I think we're, we're really seeing um, the, the positives now coming through of that new, new format. And I think we're going to see some drivers that – are going to cement themselves over the next um, few seasons as, as the top drivers within within FE. Um, so I think it's going to be fascinating to see that narrative uh, continue to mature over the next uh, over the next uh, years. Oh, I completely agree. I, I, I really thought the old qualifying system was what was needed at the time, but it became clear that it really meant that following a, a competitive narrative through with the championship just wasn't possible. There were too many peaks and troughs and too many 
people who weren't in the championship fight running at the front of races, which is just a nightmare for broadcasters. Um, but we've seen the competitive order among those top four drivers, top four teams is such that they just put on a great show. And uh, if anything, now qualifying is augmenting that because as Sam said, it's hundreds of thousands of difference, you know, making the duels or not, which is putting the onus right back on the drivers, which is exactly where it should be. So segueing off of that, uh, Ian, um, a great comeback drive from Stoffel after those qualifying issues that Sam alluded to, uh, combined with sixth place for Nick, is an okay result, but I imagine quite a long way below what your expectations were pre-weekend. Yes, yeah, as, as I said before, I think that um, you, you know we, we 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 know that we're in a position at the moment where we've got two phenomenal drivers and, and a package um, that should be delivering strong points every weekend, and that that's you know not not in an arrogant way, but but it's the the pressure that we put on ourselves to make sure that we can deliver. And of course, if we don't, as we didn't this weekend, then then um, that's massively disappointing for the team. Um, but again, as I mentioned before, I think I take some comfort from the fact that if I compare that to last season, I feel that we are more in control. Um, we we know uh, why we didn't perform this weekend. Um, you know, firstly, with Nick, um, unfortunately having uh, having that uh, issue um, where you know where we hit him in uh, in, in FP one um meant that we lost a tire and that that's crucial for the new qualifying format when you do do lose that tire um, then it really does put you on the back foot um during the quality sessions and then for stoffel it, we just had a bizarre situation um with the uh, with the brake material whereby uh, you know we, we we left fp2 feeling feeling very confident um we'd um, effectively managed the the temperature split that we'd seen previously on on on, on the brake disc on the front um and then went into quali and it, it completely reversed it, it flipped round and, and the car was undrivable so uh, so that say put us on the back foot but um, but a stunning stunning drive from stoffel to get uh, to get that eighth place the important thing at this stage is that we are collecting points, even though they're not the points um, or not in the quantity that we'd um, hoped for and maybe expected. Um, we now need to knuckle down and make sure that uh, in New York, in London, and then in Seoul, um, we uh, we have better results. Um, but it just goes to show again, currently within Formula E, you need to be getting every single last detail right and every element um, because the competition is so, so tight. And, and those those other three teams that we mentioned, so Jaguar, DS Tech, Cheetah, and, and of course Venturi, are going to give uh, uh, each other and ourselves a, a run for our money all the way up until that last race. I remember, I remember thinking at the beginning of the season, wouldn't it be nice to sort of be in a position where you're, you're, you're going into... Uh, into those last couple of races, knowing that um, you're in great shape for the championship, I don't, I don't think we're going to know um, who's going to come out on top, be it drivers or teams, until that very last race. Oh, absolutely not. No, I, it's, I can't see how those series of events would come in. That basically requires the other three of the teams dropping the ball. I would think. No, absolutely. Um, have you got to the bottom of, of what happened with that brake material? Then was it a manufacturing issue? Are you confident it won't happen again? I think we're we're starting to understand it a little bit more. Um, the you know, we've done a lot of work over the season. Obviously, you're limited in the sets of brake material that um, that that you receive um, to run through the season, and uh, and and you work with what you've got. Um, it's something that we've 
you know struggled with on on a number of occasions um but and and, and thought to be honest with you that that we were in in reasonable shape um at the beginning of the uh, of the weekend uh, although we saw some some temperature deltas um on the front brakes from left to right um we, as i say we felt by the end of fp2 that we were in, in good shape so it just goes to show that there's there's still more work to be done there um but having having had a chat with uh, with the engineers since getting back from Marrakesh, we've uh, we've got a couple of ideas. So uh, uh, we'll not have the opportunity to try those out until we get to New York. So uh, fingers crossed that uh, that we take a step forward there. That's a great thing about Formula E doing all your problem solving in public. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Sam, it was uh, seventh place for Jake Dennis and eleventh for Oliver Askew, following a career best seventh place in qualifying, which was a reasonably decent result for Andretti. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, they were back on form. I think, especially in the context of Dennis's uh, start to the weekend, he lost the entire first practice session with a powertrain drama. Um, so to put it um, uh, seventh place in the race, he qualified fifth, is a, is a very fine effort. He fought back hard. It was, again, mega in qualifying, uh, got through to the quarterfinals, lost out to Jean-Éric Verne. Dennis was ultimately, I suppose, the best of the rest, you'd say, outside the top four teams, Venturi, Merck and Jaguar and DS. So that's that's a decent run for them. The, the BMW has always been strong at Marrakesh. Remember when um, uh, De Costa and, uh, and Sims were dominating, weren't they, in, in back in 20, uh, when was that, 2019, and then threw it all away. But they were comfortable one too at that stage. It always seems to work around there. So, But not quite enough at this stage to, to penetrate through to the podium positions last Saturday. But, yeah, great job by Dennis. He's, he's, he's ever impressive in his second season in Formula E. Oliver Askew, as he said, a great qualifying performance, qualified seventh was a great effort by the Floridian. He's, he's had some tough races in his rookie campaign. It's, I think, probably the hardest season to come in as a rookie. Um, last season, we had Nick Cassidy, Jake Dennis, Norman Natto. All three of them, well, two of them did win races. Um, Cassidy probably should have won a race, but he got a couple of pole positions. Um, some of that was partly because of the qualifying um, system back then. But I think coming in as a rookie this season, when everybody knows the hardware, um, most of them know the races or, or the, the races that have been used multiple times, I just think it's really tough. There's a there's a there's a hierarchical nature to Formula E now, and to come in as a rookie and, and make waves as others have done in previous seasons is super tough. Having said that, you've got the opportunity. You're going to make the most of it. And there's been a few races this this year. I think Askew probably hasn't done that. I think in Jakarta, he he kind of went missing a little bit in Jakarta when there was there wasn't that excuse of not knowing the track because nobody knew the track i was expecting i think he i think he and the team probably expected a bit more from there didn't happen um but yeah fair play to him it was it was a good performance sadly he uh, he didn't get rewarded for it he finished in 11th slipped back to 11th he had some real difficulties with the um difficulties with the battery management the, the thermal management in the closing stages and, and sort of dropped back behind uh behind the the bird and um and, and stoffel got pushed his way through as well so shame he didn't get rewarded for it because he probably did 
deserve at least a couple of points. Um, but we'll see. I think we speculated, didn't we, in the last episode about whether he would get a second season with Andretti. It's still possible. We think Andre Lotter is the, the favourite to partner Jake Dennis at the team next season. But uh, you never know. I think in this in this silly season, there are you know there are plot twists on plot twists going on, which aren't generally known yet. I'm, I'm really looking forward to Seoul actually, because I reckon after the week after Seoul, there's going to be about there's going to be about seventy two driver announcements in one week, and I think um, trying to keep on top of that is one thing. Actually, telling the story of what's been happening in the driver market is is another. But I think we're going to come on to that a bit later as well. But uh, yeah. We we have yeah yeah so uh, it's going to be fascinating to sort of tell some of the uh, some of those plot twists later on in the year. Rattling off the uh, final point scorers, Sam Bird in ninth as his uh, season of woe continues, and Oliver Rowland took the final point for Mahindra in tenth. With uh, how do you want to describe that performance, Sam? Uh, a brawny cameo in the, in the in the great style of Oliver Rowland. I mean, yeah. Top entertainment. I'll tell you what it reminded me of. It harked back to some of those Robin Frines, I shouldn't be here, but I am, so deal with it races in season two with that old Gen 1 spec Andretti. Remember those? Yeah. That was fun. Um, the, the, Mahindra, the Mahindra isn't an out-and-out bad car, but it's probably what do you say, the seventh best overall technical package on the grid, sixth or seventh. So by rights, it shouldn't be anywhere near the sharp end. It shouldn't absolutely be nowhere near the where where Roland had it on um, on Saturday yes he had an aggressive strategy yes there were gambles going on but he's got to run his race I mean when you get someone to wring a car's neck like Roland does and get it into the top six um, it's yeah it's, it's Herculean on occasions and it's great entertainment and although he was burning up some energy and it was a gamble um, it was a remarkable charge and he was up to second at one stage I couldn't believe he was up to second place very briefly um, it was just brash stuff from Roland and, and what we expect from him it was yeah it was it was good fun he, he looked like he was enjoying himself um, but at the same time, it's tremendously frustrating for those around him who are kind of forced to race him, knowing that you know he won't likely be in the fight for the big points at the end of the race. It was quite amusing afterwards. Formerly, we've got this uh, room that the drivers go in directly from Park Fermi, I think. And uh, uh, Roland, one of the first things Roland said was that he, you know he, he got a nosebleed during that race. We were so high up the <laughs> into the into the top uh, top three. Th- th- this was the race. This, I mean. Da Costa, he had a contact with Da Costa. Da Costa got shunted out of the way, uh, but fair play to Roland for instantly realising this and and fairly giving him the position back. That was that was the right the right move from him. But this cost Da Costa a little more in energy and contributed probably to him not being able to attack Mortara more aggressively at the end. So yeah, it's frustrating. These cork in the bottle races do still occur occur in twenty twenty two Formula E racing often. They're great for the fans, great for viewers, great for us. But actually, in the greatest context of the race, they're they're a massive pain in the arse for the guys who are fighting for the, for the championship. And it kind of slightly discolours the picture of the race. But you know, you, you can't blame Roland for giving it a go. And fair play to him; it was it was great fun while it lasted. Ian, that's New York next up. Uh, we've talked about um, Mercedes struggles there last year, and also a little bit about how you'll be experimenting with those brakes uh, solutions uh, there. Do we expect to see more of the same with the same uh, championship contenders at the front? Or do you think there's uh, the ability for somebody to spring a surprise and, and mix it up there with you guys? Very good question. I mean, it, it goes 
back to that which Sam was just saying, you, this is Formula E, and, and despite the, I suppose, the, the more consistent racing and, and results that we've seen over this season, it, it still uh, throws up surprises left, right, and centre. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be brave enough to stick my head above the parapet and, and rule anything out at this stage. Um, having said that, my, my expectations are that I think you'll more than likely continue to see those that we've been discussing uh, most throughout the, the, this podcast so far, um, you know, back up there again. Um, I think that, that all teams have got a, a good opportunity to, uh, all the ones we've been discussing have got a good opportunity to perform well in, in New York. Um, as we've mentioned before, you know, we need to have a better a better weekend than we've had there in in, in previous years, but uh, but no, I think it's it's whatever happens, it's going to uh, prove to be a, a a fantastic weekend. It's a great venue. It's is one of my favourites, um, without a doubt, um, in terms of uh, having the backdrop there in, in such an iconic city. So um, I'm very much looking forward to getting out there and uh, and seeing what we can do. Now after Marrakesh, Sam, there are a couple of teams that need a big result in uh, in New York. It looks like Envision's title charge has completely dried up. Um, Nissan appeared to have got lost somewhere. They must have been in Canada for the amount of time I saw them on the TV. And what's gone on at Porsche? Yeah, well, I, two of those three teams, Envision and, and Porsche, really just had dreadful weekends all around in Morocco. Zero points for those two teams is a disaster. But uh, taking Porsche first... It was just a litany of issues and errors, which was their downfall. Um, and it's now seen them plummet to 89 points off, off Venturi. Um, there were issues, steering column, a sensor contributed to Lotter and missing his little time he had to set in the first half of the qualifying group. Um, and then there was this complex issue for Verline in, in the in the race with a, a battery error. With it was a team error, basically where they switched off for too long the battery before the race, and it reset itself to a different mode, meaning that they had derating in the first lap, which explained Verline's um, scattiness. Let's call it when he when Evans was trying to was trying to uh, overtake him. So it ended up with both of them almost in the wall. So it was a real mess. Um, Verline's pace was severely compromised through that early phase of the race as he took measures to to, to get the temperature down on his battery again and, and rebuild his race, which he eventually did and came back through to finish, um, I think he got 12th in the end. The the pace that he showed in qualifying in particular, and, and Lotterer was quick in practice, so we don't know where Lotterer might have been on the grid. I think he would have been in the top, top 10. Um, Verline qualified fourth. He could have been in the mix with Evans for a podium at the least. I'm convinced of that. So when you combine this with issues they've had previously this season with Monaco, in particular when Verline was in the lead and looking as though he was going to take the take a, a reasonably conclusive victory, that's got to be hard to stomach. I spoke to Florian Modlinger, um, the head of, of Porsche Factory Motorsport Formulary, afterwards, and, and his... Um, his demeanour doesn't change much. He's he's extremely professional, uh, but he's extremely uh, a determined man. You can see that. But there, there was that sort of look in his eye of, um, you know, we, the, we, we have to get on top of this and there's going to be a very brutal debrief after this because it didn't show Porsche in their best light and it was a bit of an embarrassment, the whole thing, um, which was a shame because they had a quick car. And I think Verline is a driver this season. When you look back at it and you add those points up that he has lost, there is 
every possibility he could have made that gang of four uh, a gang of five going into um, the last six races but that's that's lost now that's gone envision similar tale of woe I, I kind of at a loss to explain just how how bad it's gone for them they they appear all at sea right now um, Robin Fryans looks as though he just doesn't want to be there he just wants to get out of the place Cassidy just can't be happy with what he's achieved this season. Yes, he made a mistake in Marrakesh. So they, they've all got to kind of look at themselves and try and get over this this slump because that's what it is. I think, it's as I wrote last week, it's, it's gone from mild concern to sort of almost a full-blown crisis there at the minute. It's just the, 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 just looking from the outside, the atmosphere in the team just looks horrible. Um, and it's hard to get back from that when you're in the middle of a season. Um, thankfully, they're not in the the throes of Gen 3 development um, directly because they're, they're with Jaguar next year. So at least they're able to go back from races and try and recalibrate. So let's hope they can. I think if they can, they've got the package and they've got the drivers to, 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 you know, to, to get some big results by the end of the season. But the feeling is, is that it, it just, it just isn't going to happen. Um, so really odd that, and it's got to be really galling for the team because the constituent parts of that team, yes, there's been a lot of changes engineering wise, and perhaps that is part of the issue, but the constituent parts of that team have always been excellent and they've always punched well above their weight. But at the moment they're on the canvas, I'm afraid. Um, I hope they're turning it around. We're, we're just going to have to, to see what happens in New York. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ian, the Season 9 calendar has been announced just ahead of the uh, Marrakesh race. Uh, the biggest one ever, but still with a few holes on there. Uh, you mentioned earlier that how much you like the race in New York, but we might not be going back. Yeah, I think it's, it's been reasonably well documented over, over the past uh, few days about the challenges of the particular location they've got in New York at the moment. And, and again, I'll just reiterate the fact that it, it, it genuinely is one of my favorite races. I think it was uh, one of the first ones I, I attended way back in, gosh, it must have been season four as a guest um, and, and was blown away um, by, by the fact that you could go motor racing uh, at all in New York um, and, and, and with the backdrop that it's got there. So it, it's been, it's been fantastic. Um, but this is the, one of the the challenges that the that, that Formula E will always face going forwards in terms of the fact that if, if you've got a, a USP that's racing in, in these, these city centres, um, you know, city centres by their very nature continue to develop and evolve and, and, and therefore you need that flexibility and adaptability. And, and as I mentioned earlier, I think that's something that Formula E does very well. Um, you know, 
the US is going to be an incredibly important market, not only for the OEMs that are involved in Formula E, but for, for a lot of partners uh, who come in as well. And I know that Formula E uh, FEO themselves are looking at uh, ensuring that um, there's some, some great racing there uh, in the future as well. So I, I hope personally that we can um, maybe go back to uh, to New York again, uh, whether it, uh, it's in that particular location or, or, or uh, another one um, in the future. Um, but uh, but I'll certainly be enjoying the uh, the opportunity that we've got this season, um, and then let's wait and see. You know the the, the fact that uh, they continue to look at the calendar and, and further developments in my mind just uh, brings more opportunity up. Um, and there's some great other locations in the US. Um, and then just take a look at the, the season nine calendar that they've um, that they've announced with uh, with new locations on there, such as uh, Sao Paulo and, and Hyderabad. I think it's going to um, be phenomenal and, and, and great to see the other uh, locations that we've come to know and love already, such as uh, such as Monaco and uh, uh, Mexico and then London, which which always uh, provides some great racing. So um, I'm I'm you know super optimistic about it. Sam, no South Africa on there. But any news on on what's happening with that? Well, there seems to be still some confidence in uh, racing in Cape Town next February, but it wasn't on the provisional calendar, the draft calendar that went to the World Motorsport Council a few weeks ago. Um, the executives that, that I've spoken to at Formula E are confident. They're telling us that it's just some loose ends and some details that need to be um, added to that fixture. I think there's an there's an air, let's say, of extra of being extra cautious after the Vancouver situation sort of spilled out um, earlier this year. Let's hope they're right. I think Cape Town it would be a huge story for Formula E, and but there's just something. Um, there's just something I, I I fear that you know we we were talking about Vancouver as if it was going to happen, you know, three months ago, weren't we? And it was a nailed on one. People were more people were more worried about Jakarta, and the irony being that the Jakarta was this this great event, um, and well attended and, and well received, whereas Vancouver didn't even didn't even happen. These things are notoriously difficult to put on, and I think Formula E. Uh, a kind of having a not a rethink as such, but they're just going to be a little tighter on how local promoters uh, working with local promoters and, and taking a bit more control of of some of these these new events. I feel, I feel, um, and and that's the right thing to do. Um, ultimately, when there is a a problem and there is a big PR fallout, which inevitably there was with the Vancouver situation. Um, Although it wasn't directly Formula E's fault, you know their names at the, you know their names on the front of the shop, isn't it? So it it always comes back to them in some respect. So that the the, the the damage to the brand is is there and real, um, and it's happened before. You know Brussels, um, was it Rio? I think. Oh, I forgot the, all about these. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, there were there were many others. Obviously, Montreal went through a, a similar thing. Although at least gone on, you know, at least had one event. So I think the, the the Cape Town one it remains to be seen, but th- there is hope there. I mean, the feeling in, in Formula E is that it will happen. So uh, let's yeah, let's hope that's right. The date set for March is hoped to be Sanya, uh, the second Sanya race. Last went there in twenty nineteen. But quite honestly, I think everyone's everyone's looking at that and thinking 
it might just be a year too early to go back racing in China. Um, I'd be surprised if, if we're not back in Marrakesh as another super sub race next March. And I, and I think, you know, that could easily be an African doubleheader, couldn't it, with, with Cape Town. So um, let's see how that pans out. But, yeah, the New York situation, as Ian said, we ran a story on it today with some detail about how um, how that's looking and how Alberto Longo and his team at Formula E are negotiating with the, the mayor of New York to try and get a solution to some of this reclaimed uh, land there, which is because of a, um, an expansion of the, the cruising industry, uh, the cruiser industry in and around new york so difficult one that but hopefully they can they can get to a, a reasonable solution and we can we can keep racing in the big apple yeah let's really hope so i've uh, i've enjoyed some some good times there uh ian we had the official announcement that uh, the mclaren neon partnership will be taken over that mercedes entry uh for next season um great news obviously to keep keeping the uh the team on the grid how hard has it been balancing that happening in the future while at the same time running the day-to-day operation uh, it's, it's 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 kept us all uh, all pretty busy <laughs> it's uh, it's fair to say now you know it stems back to, to when um the decision was taken at the end of uh, end of last season that uh, that mercedes-benz were going to focus their motorsport activities um primarily in, on 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 formula one um although they have customer racing as well um still uh, still progressing um and you know I, I just felt that over the past couple of years we we built something quite special with the team and 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 clearly it was performing well as well and i didn't feel that we we'd reached the end of that journey so um approached the board at that time and 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 asked them if they would be supportive of of um us trying to find a um uh, a solution for the future and uh, i think this is you know all credit to, to to the board and to mercedes-benz because they they gave us that support and i think that that you know we often talk about sustainability um that that's a very sustainable approach to take to uh, to to not just let something sort of fizzle out but to um to give it that um that shove towards uh, hopefully a, a very bright future and then from that point onwards it was very much looking at bringing the 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 right ingredients together um there isn't a, a woman or a man within this team that that, that wants to be there as an also round. Everybody wants to to continue to fight uh, for podiums and race wins and ultimately championships as well. So we also needed to find um, you know the right the right backing, the right partnerships, and and uh, and the right structure to to ensure that we um, could continue in that vein in the future as well. And I'm, I'm delighted that not only have we got that now with uh, with McLaren um, and the heritage and the expertise that that, that organisation brings with it, um, but also with a partner that's been there really almost from the beginning in, in Neon, um, and then uh, and then coming up to uh, to become title partner of the of the team as well. So that gives us a, a phenomenal foundation and, and a springboard if you like for the future um and it's exciting for for the team obviously that's you know all been going on in the background over the past months and uh, at the same time as you say we've had uh, had a good old fight on our hands uh, defending the uh, the titles uh, in, in in the current season so um it's it's very much kept us busy um but the team um have been brilliantly focused 
on the job at hand. You know, ninety five percent of the team have solely been really working on on season eight and and the racing that we've got to uh, to deliver. Um, and uh, I think they're doing a uh, a very very good job at, at that indeed and, and putting us in a great position for this season um and uh, yeah proud to be uh, continuing to to represent mercedes eq um until the end of that season and then at the same time uh, very excited about uh, the neil mclaren partnership in the future sam there's quite a lot of detail in the announcement but nothing on drivers so Maybe you can throw some names out there and we'll see how Ian reacts and judge uh, if we got any anything right. <laughs> Driver bingo. <laughs> yeah, I see. Well, before, before Sam starts, I'm glad this is a podcast and not on video, so you can't see my face. <laughs> <laughs> the, the poker face doesn't come into yeah, it. Exactly, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, the 2022 driver merry-go-round is still going. It's um, There are a few teams and drivers still clinging onto it and been thrown around. The, the 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 two key ones I think uh, that that um, are of interest, let's say, a Nissan and 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 McLaren. So it's really great to have Ian here with us to give us two world exclusives on uh, who's going to yeah. be dressed up like two overripe papayas next season. Ian, <laughs> over to I'm, you. I'm just, I'm just thinking what what wonderful curveballs I can throw you, sir. <laughs> well. I think on Nissan, let's take Nissan first. Let's be diplomatic. We, you know, we learned last weekend that, that Norman Natto and Sasha Fenestras have entered the fray for a seat there, and we'll be running a piece on that um, this week. Uh, lots of people are presuming that Max Gunter will definitely stay at that team. And, and while that would make a whole lot of sense for, for continuity in light of Sebastian Buemi leaving for, for Envision for next season, I'm not sure it's 100% confirmed within the team let's let's wait and see on that one personally i think nato would be a, a good signing because i think he did a, a really good job in his rookie season um uh, we, we talked a bit about that earlier didn't we about how tough it was last season but even tougher this season he's, he's done a great job at jaguar as well you speak to anyone um a jaguar on the role that norman has done there as a, a reserve and, and sim driver that's um it, it's, a, it's a damn fine one fenestras highly rated um he's very young he's i think he's still 21 he's helping his cause by winning in super formula at the moment so would be a decent call it would also be really nice to see a genuine rookie come in again to the championship and a young one at that so let's see they don't appear to be in too much of a hurry at nissan which is a bit of a surprise to me um they've got a gen 3 program as well yes they've got Jan Mardenbrough who's doing a great job as a, a tester and sim driver there and, and Steph Sarazan who still believe it or not he's still he's, he's not still knocking around there he's, he's, he's still He's still donning the overalls and getting in the uh, Gen 3 car to test. And he's actually taking more and more of a, a, a role there at Nissan as it as it sort of moves away from the EDAM side of things and, and morphs into something um, w- which they're positioning as genuine factory team. So that's very interesting. Um, and, and then McLaren, you know, we've we've already run a story um, um connecting uh, Rene Rast with with McLaren, which would be great to see Rene back in the team. He's a driver highly rated um, universally, and I think his one full season with Formula E just didn't um, didn't show the capability that he's got primarily because of this chaotic qualifying uh, system. So it'd be great to see him in a more hierarchical Formula E um, environment. And obviously, he's, he's a very good development driver as well. Yeah, we're big um, brass fans on this podcast, Ian, just a we, little nod there. We, we are. 
<laughs> and um, let's say let's say his teammate could be another driver whose surname begins with R, couldn't it? I mean, there was this there was this communication a few weeks ago about Felix Rosenqvist's future, um, which is confirmed at McLaren, but not specified on whether he's racing in IndyCar or Formula E. I think those are the two, obviously, the two main um, areas of programme that, that Felix will be involved in. I think, from from my point of view, from, I think, most fans' point of view, it would be superb to have him back in Formula E because he was um, he was a real force back in Season 3 and Season 4 and with Mahindra, and arguably, had it not been for reliability issues in Season 4, could easily have, well, could have challenged uh, Vern. Um, much more for the title that season um, but we'll have to wait and see the only man on this podcast who maybe knows is um, is not either of us two V2B is it this is, this is the brilliant thing about you know continuing to, to represent the Mercedes EQ Formula E team until the end of uh, the current <laughs> season and, uh, <laughs> and pleading my case in, in that respect but just one, one point on that and I think Andrew you mentioned it before um, you know, I've, I've not been in this game for, for, for a particularly long time, um, but I, I was astounded at just how silly the silly season was or has been uh, over the past few months. And, and speaking with with a number of the players, you know, driver managers, team principals and so on and so forth, um, I don't think anybody else really could quite believe how uh, uh, how up in the air it's all been. So it's, it's been a fascinating uh, uh, few months to to observe, and uh, and yeah, quite uh, quite amusing from time to time to um, to see the uh, the speculation that's that, that's been coming out. So uh, no 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 doubt it's kept uh, kept both of you very busy and intrigued as well. Oh, it's our version of the football transfer market. It's brilliant. It's it's it's. If you were, you could see in my office now, I've got a wall chart that would make uh, Helen Mirren in Prime Suspect um, blush. It's it's like sort of flow charts, and it's got those little red arrows and all kinds of things going on there. So it's uh, it's been intriguing, and actually, just a little bolt on to this conversation here uh, to wrap things up. Um, this week on the race, uh, the hyphen race dot com. There's a there's an absolutely fascinating interview with uh, Alexander Sims who um, whose Formula E career will cease at the end of the season he will he will be concentrating on endurance racing for 2023 but uh, you know I, I implore you to read that interview because he opened up um, wonderfully actually it was a very it was one of the best interviews I've done in Formula E and Alexander really opens up as to why he's chosen that path and um, why he isn't taking up another offer with a, with another team for, for next season and it's it's great reading yeah um, one of the most honest and uh, open interviews I've, uh, I've ever done so uh, well worth a read well, that's a great sales pitch and a, and a really good way to end the show Sam um, that's all we have time for now thank you um but please remember to check out all of Sam's latest Formula E content on thehyphenrace.com as we build up to New York, of course. Uh, Ian, very best of luck for the rest of the season. And please check out the rest of our content, which includes the British Podcast Award-nominated F1 show and coming very soon, and I know a few of you are very excited about this, a new series of Bring Back v Goodbye. Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.